Life on Eddie. I'm your host, John Aberly, special guest in the house. Well, I can't say she's in the house today, but she's down in her own house. Brand new farm. My good friend, Kristen Beck, former retired Navy SEAL. We're going to be talking about some, oh, current events. We're going to talk about some things that Kristen's been doing since we last sat with her. And just get an idea. The biggest question we have to ask her at some point is, what's her thoughts on Donald Trump? Because everybody's got an opinion. Kristen, welcome to the show. We've been talking a while. How you been? Hey, pretty good. Thanks, I, I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for coming on last-minute notice. I really appreciated that. Uh, let's kind of catch up on you a little bit. Now, you got married, you and Heather. And yeah. are are you guys living on a farm now? My, you know, Sharon keeps showing me pictures of you on a tractor. You just built a chicken coop. I'm seeing cows. Where are you guys at right now? Yeah, so believe it or not, I'm about 20 minutes outside of Washington, D.C. in Maryland. Southern Maryland, a beautiful state that is, I don't think most people know about it. It's kind of like New Jersey. It's kind of a hidden gem. That's excellent. 38-acre uh, so farm. Uh, Heather and I bought it together. And uh, we have Angus cows that are grass-fed, and we have 120-something chickens, two dogs, and two horses. Now, you and I have talked many times before in the past, and one of your things was you wanted to kind of live off the grid, so to speak, kind of get off of everything that's electric, that's power, and just be self-sufficient on your own. Is that what you and Heather are shooting for at the farm, or you're just enjoying the farm? Uh, we're enjoying the farm and getting off the grid, like you're talking about, just totally uh, getting totally off the grid. Yeah. That's a difficult proposition. <laughs> and uh, it's, a, it's a nice goal, and we're trying to, so we're cutting back as much as we can. But to be totally off the grid, you know, it, in my current life right now, I'm running for politics. Uh, Heather's still active duty Air Force. So, and then all this stuff that we're doing, we just couldn't be totally off the grid, but we're trying. If and anyone can do it, there. you can. Trust me, you'll be able to do it. I know it. Now, getting back to it's the politics. Like a tiny house. I want to live in a tiny house. Are, Are you right serious? Like that? Uh, no. No. Like the what I see on TV, the tiny house people? Yeah, I wow. love those. I mean, I mean, can you imagine if American society, if all the people had in their idea, I want to be off the grid and I want to live in a tiny house. Just the mentality of that alone is going to make us stop being such a consumer-driven and big Everything's big in America. I just think that we've kind of lost track of what we really need to have as people to survive. Uh, we don't need big. We don't need to consume. We don't need to keep pushing this envelope of consumerism. But who's making us do that? The people that are making us do that are the people selling us stuff because they want to make money and they want to get profit and they want to be rich. Well, I don't want to be rich. I don't want to make profit. I don't want to consume. I want to consume as little as possible, survive and be happy. And I think my happy life is me, uh, my contentment with having a smaller everything. I want a smaller house, a smaller footprint. I want to have as little effect on the end state of this earth as possible to try to leave something for my grandchildren. That's my goal. And I think if everybody had that in their mind, how much better of a world would be living? Okay, that is one for the two of us to really mull over over a case of beer. Okay, that's for the two of us. Because, you know, not that you're a big person, you're not, but you're not a small person either. You know, you've got a nice build to you. You're about 5'10", 5'11". You know how big I am. Can you imagine the two of us living in a small house like that? <laughs> it's just not going to happen. <laughs> it wouldn't work. But we'll definitely yeah, okay, go over that one. <laughs> go for 900 square feet. That's not too bad. You guys have that. That'll work for you. But then again, some of the tiny houses on that show are pretty creative. And that's the thing is you can be creative and not be in these giant, monstrous mega mansions. You can be creative in 900 square feet. And be extremely comfortable. And 900 square feet, that's a pretty big area if you think about it, if you use that area correctly. You know, it's interesting. You made a point because I remember reading, I think in the 1970s, early 80s, the average size home was like 1,500 square feet. Yeah, yeah. And now... And the house we're living in, I'm sorry, the farmhouse we're living in right now was built in 1888. And when you're looking at the closets, the closet space, and then you look at the bathroom situation... It's a one bathroom, and the bathroom is about, uh, what, 10 by 10. It's not very big. And then a three-bedroom. And then the way the rooms are configured, just the whole thing is configured so much different than the way we are today. 
we are consumers. We have too much. You have too many pairs of shoes, too many everything. And then you end up with more stores. You have to have a bigger place to store all the stuff. You know, you just, it's a great point. You just, I mean, you saw... I mean, you've been to my home a few times. You've seen my basement, my sports yep. memorabilia collection and stuff. And I was just telling my producer, Fred, here, McKenna goes off to college next year, her freshman year, and I'm thinking to myself, maybe it's time to start downsizing a little bit. Well, start I was selling the stuff. You have, you have an amazing collection of memorabilia. It goes from the Phillies to the Eagles to so everything you have and your hockey teams, everything you have down there. You enjoy that. But what if I was in a coffee shop? So that hundreds of people could enjoy it. You know, it, it's it's a good point because I actually thought about a friend of mine. Donated yeah. to a coffee shop. Oh, you're killing me! Now, you see, you make me think too much when I talk with you. <laughs> you do. You make me think too much. Well, let's. So when you have it by yourself, you're the only one who will enjoy it. But what if there's a whole bunch of other people who like to enjoy that stuff? And to sit in a coffee shop and you can point out that hey, I donated those four or five things. And you sit in your own coffee shop just down the road to you, and you enjoy your friends, you know, once a week. That's why I enjoy talking with you. You do make <laughs> me think too much. Well, let's let's use that then as a segue here. You ran for uh, a congressional seat down in Maryland this past election cycle. I'm still running. The, uh, vote, the, vote, the election for Maryland, the primaries, is April 26th. So I have about one month right now to oh. ramp up. And then get elected. And I'm going to beat the guy that I'm running against. Now, the guy you're running against, though, is a long-time incumbent. He's been there for 34 years. Has he done anything? To, now, this is always a question you have to ask. Forget the beginning. In the last 10 years, has he accomplished anything that you can point at that means anything? Well, I can point at a few things that he's claiming, but his claims, I think, are kind of false. So he's claiming that he gave all the jobs to all the people down at the Tuxet Naval Base. Patuxent River, Navy base, and he says that I saved the base and I gave 30,000 jobs and I did this and this. Yeah. And I say, well, you know, uh, Stanley Hoyer, have you ever heard of the BRAC? That's and what I was going to say. That's what BRAC is. That's what the BRAC is. He didn't do that, but he claims it, and then all the people down there believe it, so they keep voting for him because they said, he saved my job, he did this, he did that. Well, BRAC is the thing that took the decisions about bases being open or closed or anything else out of the hands of politicians and gave it to a committee to ensure fairness across the board. And so your political, uh, you know, agenda for saving all these jobs and trying to do all this stuff, that's totally false. And so I think he's lying to all these people saying that he did this and did that. And that's one of his biggest accomplishments was a false claim that he saved the Potomac River Naval Race. See, that's the problem with politics. You have to have someone who's willing to dig deeper than just a statement that was made and get to the heart of the truth. And you're making a great point there as well. The BRAC was designed to eliminate bases and other things that aren't needed any longer as part of the military and to do it fairly without politics across the board. Yeah. Sounds like he's taking, uh, taking credit for something that maybe they had a conversation with them. And he made a pitch, yeah. you know, he made a pitch, this is what we need, we can do this for you, and then the BRAC went back and made a decision. And it turns into the needs of the military, not the needs of the community or politicians. It says that Pacific River uh, Naval Base is a needed entity because of the access to the water, the Pacific River and everything else, and the testing, and it's an incredible research and development base that actually me, as a Navy SEAL, and working in research and development, I brought projects to Pacific River, particularly because of the access to the river and everything else. So I could almost say I brought more jobs and more money to Pacific River Navy Base than Stanley Hoyer because I actually did bring projects to that. So that you can go back so to your I research and development. I probably have yeah. better claim than he does. That's excellent. So you can definitely claim that. Well, you're, are, are you still doing any R&D work for the military? Uh, not directly the military. I'm working for a couple of companies and more doing more consulting. Okay. But I'm doing uh, right now. I've been doing some training with the uh, Secret Service and a few other special groups. Uh, weapons training, basically doing uh, the pistol and concealed carry and some things like that. I'm still a pretty good shooter. I have never doubted that. <laughs> I didn't think that was ever going to change. Uh, but I, no I teach respect and safety and how to use the weapon properly and. And I try to speed up their instincts and uh, their attention to detail and uh, extreme circumstances to make them safer as far as when you use a weapon, if I can make you think faster and make you more instinctive, you're going to end up being safer and not 
engage the incorrect targets. You'll, you'll engage correctly. And so I think this type of training needs to be done to all the police forces, too, to end some of these uh, shoots that are just totally wrong. I want to make you think so fast and be so effective that you're not going to make these mistakes in the shootings. Well, remind me, or I'll remind you later, i got to call you back on something that I have become involved with. That it's pretty much what you're talking about, and I'll get deeper into it personally later. So just okay. expect a call from me. We've we got to go over some things. But getting okay. back to running. Now, I looked at your platform before, and I have to admit I went straight through it. I had no issues with any of what you were covering there. But you are running, like we said, a long-time incumbent. You're in a strong Republican area. How have you been welcomed being transgender? How has that worked so far? Have, have you know has the political cycle coming to you, or are you going to it, or is it, or is there still that distance that they want to keep? There's still some distance, and I'm trying to close down those gaps as much as possible. I uh, I go out and I knock on doors and I shake hands and I speak to people. I was just uh, I just attended the uh, the caucus of uh, African American leaders and I had like, incredible acceptance of that organization. And uh, talking to uh, uh, some really dynamic leaders, I was I was uh, I couldn't say surprised because I, I know that you know we're all people and we're good leaders and across the board that has nothing to do with with race, gender, or anything. You are what you are. And uh, so after speaking to all these gentlemen, I uh, I'm, I didn't change my views, but it actually it owned and it made me a little sharper as far as some of the subjects. And uh, like my platform, I don't think I'm ever going to really change a lot of my platform, but I can adjust my platform and I can move from side to side a little bit. But you can't change integrity, you can't change honor, you can't change honesty and all those things. But that's in me. That's I'm the one that have integrity, that have honor, that have honesty, that has, you know, love and compassion and empathy. That's me. So my platform only changes as much as I can change as a person, which isn't very much, you know. You can't change the tiger's stripes. No, can't so change it at all. I learned I learned a lot from from these gentlemen and I actually met my new pastor. He was there at the uh, meeting and he was really cool and wow. uh dynamic speaker. Excellent. And, uh, Excellent. Hold on one sec, Chris. We're, we're going to roll into a break here. Okay. And I want to come back because we got a lot to catch up on. You are listening to All Life right. on Edit. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my special guest, my friend, former retired Navy SEAL, Kristen Beck. Be right back. Welcome back to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Avery Legay. My special guest, retired Navy SEAL Kristen Beck. Kristen, uh, transgender well, issue. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, before we took the break, your question, I actually probably didn't totally answer it, was how am I being accepted? So I'm going door to door and everything's good. And uh, like 80% of the people that I meet and I talk to, they're all saying, you know, hey, this is great, you know. All the stuff is good. You know, once in a while you run into somebody that's just kind of like, whoa, I don't want to talk to you and close the door. Because I am what I am, you know, I'm kind of a tomboy. So I have spoken to a couple of Republican clubs. So there's a club in Calvert County. It's the uh, Republican Men's Club. And I spoke in front of that group. And a uh, really nice, warm acceptance. And they said, all of your policies, you know, we agree with almost everything, but we're unsure about this or this. And I said, well, that's the thing. For a politician and for someone, I don't want you to care, you know, so much about every little point or every issue or every platform point. I want you to, to see me and who I am. Because right now, I'm selling you a bill of goods upon a whole bunch of stuff I'm talking about. And every politician does this. And I just think it's a shame. So I'm going to tell you all this stuff, and you're going to vote for me. Uh, and what am I going to do when I'm in office, though? And so I want you to hear me right now and see me. And understand where my integrity is or how much honor I have or what I've done in the past. As a Navy SEAL, what was my job? You know, do you trust me? Do you trust that when I have something put in front of me that I'm going to be honest like me? I'm not selling you a bill of goods right now and then later down the road in 10 minutes or after I get elected or somebody buys me off. So I am who I am. I'm going to, you know, be in my office, and I'm going to be honest. I'm going to do everything I did as a Navy SEAL. I'm going to do it right now. What I'm telling you right now is what I'm going to do, but you can't trust most politicians to do that. 
Like, no money is going to affect me. Nobody's going to buy me. I think the politicians right now are bought and sold. My campaign right now is being run out about $5,000. I'm not going to do it with a lot of money. I'm not going to be, you know, led by it. Oh, Christian, we lose you? Oh. So the people are going to lead me. I'm going to do it because I have integrity. I have honesty. I'm going to be loyal to the people because that's what I did as a Navy SEAL. Well, I can definitely say, as your friend, knowing you pretty well, that your integrity is not for sale. I can honestly say that. Whatever promises you make, you will bust your ass to make sure that they are at least are trying to be done. You're doing your best no matter what. That I can guarantee anyone who's down in your area that if you were to be elected, you will follow through with your word. Yes. I mean, that's, that's what I want people are. to see. Like, listen to my platform, take a look at it. Now, if you align with 80% of it, and that's pretty good. But I want you to look more at me and what I've done in my Navy SEAL days, what I was when I was growing up and how I grew up on a farm. And now I'm a farmer, dang it. I'm out there in a factory plowing 10 acres to plant oats, you know, next week. And, you know, this is, I believe in, I want to protect the earth. I want to protect the people, the middle class, the farmers, and all of us that work for a living. You know, that's where my allegiance is. You, you know, because that's who I am. No, it's it's the truth. It's Yet if people got to know you, uh, they would find out that that is the exact truth. They they think Navy SEAL, they might have a, a mindset of, okay, this person is a lethal killer. Yes, that's the true statement, but it's not everything. And you probably, I can't say probably, you're a far more compassionate person than you ever were lethal, I think, my opinion. Yeah, I can say that I've saved way more lives than anybody would ever imagine because of the actions I, I had on the battlefield and the people I worked with. You know, I was, I was working with, you know, Mujahideen, you know, warlords, you know, from back during the Russian, you know, when the Afghanistan was fighting the Russians. Those guys are still around, and I worked with a lot of those guys, and hand-in-hand uh, hand with the tribal leaders and, uh, you know, making things happen, and that saved lives. I know I've saved, you know, hundreds of lives in Afghanistan and, you know, helped a lot of tribes, you know, Without have their freedom doubt. and their liberties. Without a doubt. And let's – now – Transgender rights. There's been a lot in the news recently. Uh, Bruce Jenner, Caitlyn Jenner, uh, does a TV show. We'll get into that in a second. I want your opinion. But the rights for the military, transgenders to serve openly, seems to have made its way through. Am I correct? Well, it's getting there. Uh, the thing is, is uh, Ashton Carter, Secretary of Defense, used to be one of my bosses when I came out. He was my boss at AT&L, the uh, Acquisition Technology Logistics uh, Group. And uh, I was doing research and development. And one day I'm there as Navy SEAL retired in suit and tie. And the next day I showed up in a dress. And he was my boss. So he saw this happening back in 2013. And fast forward now, 2015, when he was uh, made Secretary of Defense, he knew all this stuff was happening with me. And I think he carried that over into his new responsibility as SecDef. The Pentagon and he, they put out the orders to the branches to make it happen. Well, depending on when they give those kind of orders, the branches now are, are required to try to uh, implement these orders from the Pentagon, you know, when possible. And so the testing and research and all the other papers may be written, and they're going to look at this and try to figure out how they can implement this, this order. How long does that take? Well, it could take a week or it could take 10 years. They're still following the orders that was laid out by the Pentagon, but how fast that occurs is up to each branch to make that happen. Well, so you can know, imagine what happens. We, so they're working on it. Well, you know with the military, they're always cutting edge in society as far as making yeah. changes. I mean, you had eventually when uh, you know civil rights movement came along, you didn't have integrated services yeah. anymore. Uh, openly, uh, you can serve openly now as a gay or lesbian. It's going to happen as fast as a, as a service as the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines. It's going to happen as fast as those services can implement it. And that could be another year away. I just met with an Air Force two-star general yesterday and had a, a great conversation with him. And uh, the Air Force is doing pretty well. Uh, I met with the uh, Chief of Naval Operations, the CNOs, 
uh, strategic studies group uh, just a couple months ago and was sitting down with all of those admirals and I had some amazing conversations for about four hours with the chief of naval operations uh, admirals and uh, some amazing conversations with them and how to implement it and how to actually make this happen. And so I've been sitting down with a lot of leaders uh, over the past couple of years. And uh, the movie Lady Valor, uh, the documentary by CNN Films, I think that has a, a great effect because they can watch that. And that movie, was, uh, the documentary, was specifically made to educate uh, military leaders. I mean, if you watch that show, there's a lot of transgender uh, information coming out, but there's also a dog and a gun in pretty much every scene. Yeah, that's true, and and that's you know, obviously you know something that you know our you know my family. Duck Dynasty and military leaders, you know, watch the film, you might get a kick out of it. But Duck Dynasty, you watch Lady Valor, you're, uh, you're going to learn a little bit, and you're going to see a dog and a gun in pretty much every scene. And uh, for military leaders also, so that that film was made as kind of a as a soft educational. Uh, tool for uh, military leaders, and that was the purpose of the film. And that was made in 2013. A lot has changed since 2013 for me and for the transgender community. So I think that people are being educated and they're starting to understand that this is not a choice. This is not something that I woke up and said, hey, I want to do this. It's, it's, it's something that's much deeper for that. And, and I can say that I can start talking very spiritual to you and about a lot of other things, but I do believe that I am made in God's image and the great spirit image. You know, this is who I am, and I am walking my journey. And it is difficult, but I am persevering and doing the best I can with what I was given, you know, from the great spirit. I can honestly say that your voice, you sound much, much stronger. You sound happier. You sound focused. <laughs> I can Thank honestly you. say that. I and I And I think, obviously, it's a damn good thing. Let's... Kind of go into your thoughts on Bruce Caitlyn Jenner. Do you think she's a positive within the transgender community? Is she doing positive things or maybe not, depending on how you look at it? So Caitlyn Jenner, uh, the topic comes up often yeah. uh, to me because I'm not a transgender leader amongst the uh, community. I I don't want to be because that's a huge uh, responsibility to always say the right things and be totally 100% correct. And so I love that, you know, Laverne Cox and Janet Mock, and I could name another dozen uh, really good transgender leaders in the community, uh, Lana Wachowski, she has a good voice. But uh, they're all media people. They're all in Hollywood, and they're all one uh, aspect of life. I'm a politician. I'm a retired Navy SEAL. And so I think I do speak for a lot of other parts of the world in our community. I think that there's already people speaking that are great spokespersons. I think that Caitlyn Jenner is very new and uh, naive in some ways as far as that growth. I think the spotlight happened so fast and so soon for Caitlyn. It was kind of it was a little bit of a shame. It's awesome that the visibility is there, and she did break up in a lot of uh, conversations. Hmm. I just it would be awesome if she would just take some time off, and uh, maybe that show should have been like two years from now instead of right now. The Iron Kate show. It'd be awesome if that show was filmed two years from now, not right now. And I think that it would be an eye-opening uh, and a really educational and awesome show. Not now, but in two years from now, after she learned quite a bit more. So that's, that was my hopes and wishes, but it didn't happen. And so we do what we can with what we have. Would you be um, open to sitting down with her, discussing oh yeah, well, issues? Yeah, I would be, so it would be a pretty fun debate, I bet. I think the um, two of you debating would be very exciting. I think the two of you teaming up would be uh, probably two of the strongest people you would ever meet. You're both American I, I, icons. That's, and it's kind of something that I've learned over the years, and especially after sitting down across the table with a bunch of Taliban uh, leaders. Uh, when you're sitting across the table with a bunch of guys that want to kill you, <laughs> you, uh, you tend to speak differently, and you tend to open up, and you, and you see things differently. I would love to sit down across the table with uh, Caitlyn Jenner. And I'm not comparing her to anything close to what I did at the Bill, but I am comparing it to that my heart is open and I see things and I, and I want to work with people and I want to see how we can build bridges and, and mend ways and learn from each other. 
and that's what I would like to do. And I do that when I'm elected to Congress. I will do that. That's my goal is I want to build bridges, and I want to work things out. I want to see how we can come together as people. I do not want to be decisive. I do not want to be a partisan politician. And Georgetown University just did a huge study on all of Congress, every congressperson. They studied them, and they put together, and they laid out how they're voting, how they speak, uh, the news reports, and, and their answers to questions. And you know who came out as the number one most partisan politician in Congress at this time? Steny Hoyer, the guy I'm running against. That guy is so decisive and so divided, and he's so one-sided. And how does that man work in Congress? How does he make anything happen if you've already turned off, you know, more than half of the Congress people up there? He cannot get anything done because he cannot work with anybody. He is so one-sided and so far removed from sitting at that table and actually talking to people. How could that guy ever sit across the table with somebody that wants to kill him to the extreme? How could he ever sit at the table with those Taliban warlords? He can't do it. Now, if people they, who they can't, no, no, if you can't find some common ground, then you're destined to have nothing. Christian, Not we're going to take another break, then we're going to come back. Got a lot more to get in into with you, and I'm just glad, so glad you're happy. I'm so glad that you're happy. I'm happy that you're on the show again today. You're listening to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Aberly. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Aberly. Today, my special guest, retired Navy SEAL Kristen Beck. Kristen, um... More politics now. We're going to jump into this one. Donald Trump, what are your thoughts? I, Donald Trump, I think, is uh, it's, a, it's like that weird, uh, fresh breath of air that's kind of mixing things up, but then it starts turning toxic. I think that it's, it's good to shake up American politics right now because we really are stuck in a rut. I think that some of the things that he says is, is touching a nerve in America, and everybody's like, yeah. I am angry. I don't like that Wall Street was bailed out. I don't like that this happened. I don't like that that happened. There's all these things that I'm really upset about, but nobody's really spoken about it. And I think that's the only nerve he's touching is that there's a lot of things that happened in the last, you know, 10, 20 years or whatever that people are upset about. But then I think it starts turning toxic because he's, he's just he's just so like far overboard in directions. It's just it's just it's ridiculous. So. It's nice that people are starting to question government because I want you to question government. I don't like the federal government. I don't like politicians. I don't like the directions that we're going sometimes as American people. But then because the people don't vote or because the people aren't letting their voice be heard, you're silent, and your silence is letting the politicians get away with it. Your silence is letting corporations encroach into politics and take over, and then it's ruining it. And so... His voice is good because it's making us question, but I think the things he says and some of the toxics, it's just toxic. It's, it's upsetting. Would you... I, I, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, 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 like, I like that he's making people kind of question it, but then you see Bernie Sanders is kind of doing the same thing. He's making people question it. You know, Bernie, I think I think the same... I'm saying they're, they're the same coin, pretty much, but it's both sides. So that coin is being flipped right now in the air. And it's making everybody kind of really take a look, hard look. So Trump and Bernie, I think, in the same voice, I can say that it's the same coin, just just different sides. And it, it's it's great, but it's also it could end up being very damaging to to everything, depending on which one of those guys wins. I couldn't agree more with that. I like the breath of fresh air. I like the fact that the politicians inside the Beltway are being exposed to some extent. I think they're really yeah. afraid that if he comes into power or even Sanders comes into power, that the lid gets blown off the whole thing and how it because works. Because it's gone so far to a direction, and so that fresh air turns into a toxic gas and it kills everybody. And I just I just think that, that's the danger, and it, it's danger for both of them. You know, I love a lot of things that Bernie's talking about, but you've heard the term panstaffle. There ain't no such thing as a free lunch. That's right. You know, you can't have everything free because it's not free. It's going to be taxpayers' money paying for it. You know, the free college, you know, I think free votech. I want free vocational uh, educational classes for, like, one year of free votech for, you know, all the kids that want to sign up for that course after high school. And then they get their apprenticeships, and they do that. And then they go to the workforce and start working. 
I think that would be a plausible idea. We can actually do that. It's been talked about. It's been kicked around doing that also, utilizing the community colleges as a VOTEC and also giving the first two years uh, at a community college for free before you go on to a year. I agree with that. I think two years of VOTEC and community college, I would totally support that idea. And I've spoken about that. That's one of my, a big part of one of my plans. But then you have to have above a 3.4 GPA. So you're going to earn this. If you have a good GPA and you're doing it and you're working hard and you're making it happen, then, yeah, you're going to, it's going to continue as a, as a free college course. But in that first semester, if you have a 3.2, sorry, you didn't get that 3.4. So you're going to work for it. It's not free. And then after your two years, you're going to have the apprenticeship, you're going to have the licenses, and then you're out there in the workforce. Then you're producing more, and your taxes, after you become a worker, are going to help pay for the next people in line to get that free two years. I got no issue so with that. Free. I think. Nothing is free. No, nothing's free. You got to find a way to make it work for the masses. You got to find a way to make yeah. it pay for itself. It's just people yeah. have to get creative. And here's the other thing: is, is Bernie's talking about all this free stuff. He's talking about the the Swedish model, the Norwegian model, and all <laughs> that. Well, those countries, they're the state. They're the same size as the state of New Jersey. And so, yeah, if it was only New Jersey, and that's all we had and New Jersey had the big borders up, and they had all security and all that, and they took care of only themselves, yeah, a lot of these programs probably would work. But you're talking about a pretty diverse and huge country. I don't think that a lot of those models would work, you know, in democratic socialism. I think that some of them and some of that flavor, we could definitely learn a lot, and we could do better, but I don't think that the, that entire model just won't work. I think but, it's difficult, and maybe you can re- – I know you can relate to this – Think about us invading Iraq, and we're trying to turn them into a democratic society, something they've never been. Then we as a country try – exactly. And then we try to look at, say, Sweden or Norway or something more socialistic, and we can't comprehend that because we're based on a capitalistic society. Yeah. So and the thing more. is, you start talking about cultures, and you talk about the East and the West and North and the South, and by the East and the West, I mean going into, you know, China and even going further into Russia and everything else, and the way those, the way that, the way everybody's brought up and raised for hundreds of years and thousands of years for China, that's a whole way to think. But then you think about Western thought, and you're talking about Europe and everything else. But then think about North and South. So you're talking about North of the equator and then South of the equator. And so these east-west and these north-south divides and everything else, you get into a huge political discussion. Now, I majored in political science, and that was what I did as my college. I graduated college. I have my bachelor's in political science, and this was my goal was to be a politician. I've been studying this stuff now for, for you know, 20, 30, 40 years. This is where I am. I took a 20-year break, a hiatus, going into the Navy SEAL, and now I'm doing what I started out to become was a politician and really digging into this. So... This is not something new. I didn't just jump and say, hey, I want to be a politician. This is a, it's a lifelong uh, pursuit with 20 years of service to our country as a, as a military leader. And so this, it's not nothing. It is not, not new. <laughs> Christian, ISIS, how bad off are we at this moment? Well, if, if we see ISIS as, uh, as a movement, And I'm not talking about guns and bullets. You're not going to bomb ISIS out of existence. You're not going to shoot. You cannot defeat ISIS. And ISIS, just like Trump and Bernie Sanders, there's no win or lose. There is no defeat and victory. There is only is. You know, it's an idea. It's a movement. It's a culture. And for us to try to defeat that culture is the wrong thing. And so you can't defeat uh, that idea with bullets. We need to work on the idea and work with the idea and understand the idea. And then after we start understanding, then we can, you know, make peace with that idea. And then that peace would, would translate across. And then there would be no more need for guns and bullets. Does that make a little bit of sense? In a perfect world, yes. <laughs> in the But world you've experienced. Okay, just like living in a tiny house, I might not, never live in a tiny house. But I want the idea of a tiny house to be an end idea. I want that peace between us and the culture of ISIS and the idea of ISIS. We can work towards that peace. And the further we get to that peace, the better peace we'll have. It might never be a perfect peace, but it's going to be as close to perfect as we can get it. Well, then that so would be my the... tiny house is going to be as close to that tiny house as possible. But I might never live in a tiny house, but at least I can have the idea of the tiny house. I can live close to it. 
You're shooting well, for it. Then. I'm not ever. I'm never gonna understand everything. I'm never gonna be. I'll never be, you know, Islam. I'm never going to live in a perfect Islam world. But I want to be as close as friends and at as much peace as I can as a Westerner to an Eastern and to an Islamic idea, to the Middle Eastern idea. I want to live at peace with that idea, at least be friends with it. We can't be enemies with Islam. We can't be enemies with the idea. We can't be enemies with the culture. But we, we never will be that culture, but we can live close to that culture. We can't be enemies, but we can be, become friends if we understand each other. I want them to understand me. I don't want me to understand them. And if we can even get to that point, then, then we can start building peace. Right now, they're just trying to bomb them. And I don't want to bomb them. And we did that with Iraq. And it's the wrong thing to do. Well, I think there were a lot of mistakes there, man. I think trying to Many. force Many. them to, and we've kicked this around inside my kitchen, you and me, you know, <laughs> in your kitchen, too. I mean, we've kicked this yep. around pretty well. I think one of the biggest mistakes made was trying to force a democracy upon a yeah. country that so. had never even really can't understand the concept of it. Well, uh, here's the yeah. thing is when I was, I was in 2003, I was part of the huge initial invasion Actually, it was only a few of us that went across at first. But I was there in, in the uh, storage rooms in Saddam's palaces and Uday and Kuzay's narrow palaces. And uh, there's these huge rooms that were, like, down in the basement in the cellar. You know what they're full of? Crown Royal. And they were full of, like, all this other stuff. And everything that they said that they did not partake in and they did not have, it was all in their cellars in these huge vats. And I was like, whoa, wait. Do you want this, or you're, it's against your religion, it's against all this stuff? So they're denying it to all the civilians and all the citizens of their country, but they are partaking in everything American. So they had, you know, piles of blue jeans and all these dresses and all this extravagant stuff and Rolex watches and all the other trappings of this, quote, and I'm doing those air quote things, this, quote, <laughs> Western society, and talking about how evil it was that they had it, like, stashed in these huge rooms down in their cellars. But isn't that the way it always is with dictatorships? Do well, as I say, is. not as I it's do. Shameful. Yeah, it is. It's, but it's just too bad that they couldn't come to that middle ground and kind of a moderation and say, hey, this is not a bad thing. Western society is not bad. Eastern society is not bad. Western is not good. There's, there is no good and bad as far as that culture, as far as those societies. There just is. And if we would all stop trying to put the label of good and evil or good and bad, and this is right and this is wrong, stop with all these huge binary labels and just say it is what it is, and we can all kind of live together. And I would still appreciate all my culture, but I can accept other cultures, and maybe maybe I can have some of that culture come in come into my house. I appreciate a lot of the Eastern culture and Japanese culture, and I understand what Budo is, is the journey of the warrior, the way of the warrior, and I accept that. And I see that, and I appreciate it, and I actually like some of it. The ja- it's a lot of Japanese no, style. No, and, no, And that's... Buddhism, and you see yin and yang, and you see all of these really neat things that Eastern culture that we should be teaching our kids when they're in grade school to not only be Western, but look at these other things and appreciate them. And you might actually come to uh, like and enjoy some of the Eastern thought. And then you can do the same thing with the Middle East, and there's so many amazing things in the Middle East, inshallah that I really would appreciate if the Westerners and Americans would take a look at it and say, wow, this is some really amazing culture and some amazing history that I would, I would, I would invite into my house. Kristen, we're going to take the final break, then we're going to come back, do the final segment up, and again, a lot more questions for you. You're listening to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly. Today my guest is retired Navy SEAL Kristen Beck. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the final segment of Life Unedited. My special guest today, retired Navy SEAL Kristen Beck. Kristen, give us uh, what's going on with your website. Are you doing anything for public speaking? Uh, somewhere where we can find you. So I speak at universities and colleges. I've been speaking with folks at the Pentagon and all the other stuff. And, and I give lectures and, and all the other stuff. And you can find me at a... Uh, well, the best site college right now would be uh, at Beck, the number four Congress dot us, and you can pretty much get a hold of me. There's there's a email addresses and my mailing address, 
you can mail stuff to me. And there's a phone number on it. You can give a call and a request. Or you can send an email to Kristen at ladyvalor.com. That's another another one you can send to. But uh, like we were talking about just a second ago was about uh, Budo and a journey and how I'm walking and trying to make peace with a lot of things. And there is no good or bad. Well, I'm right. I wrote a book. Uh, with Mike Phillips, my uh, campaign manager, and it's getting ready to be published. This is like one of the big things I've been working on for a little while. And it's going to be published, and it should be on the shelves on uh, on Monday or Tuesday next week. And uh, the title of the book is God, Guns, and Greed. And, uh, and it really goes into a lot of the spirituality and things that I think about, but it also goes into the politicians and some of the mistakes that Americans and the politicians force us into, the mistake we make, and that's trying to say yes and no to a lot of uh, very complex questions. And they want you to say yes or no to put you on one side of the fence to either uh, get your vote or get your money, which is what it really boils down into. And I, and I, I hate that so much. I just can't stand that the politicians use God as a uh, tool to divide the country. They use guns as a tool to divide the country. They, and, and the greed is rampant. Uh, within within Congress and within the corporations and within America, I think that I think that we are so money driven and so it's just bad. And uh, I get in this a lot of deep uh, discussions about these uh, three topics in particular and how it's really affecting the politics of America. Where can we get a copy, <laughs> Christian? Where can we pick uh, up a copy? It'll be on Amazon on Monday. Great on and, Amazon. Uh, you can get the digital copy on Amazon if you just look for my name, Christian Beck. Or if you uh, look for uh, God, Guns, and Greed, uh, it should pop up. Excellent. Uh, I think there's been a lot of books written about God. There's been a lot of books written about guns. I don't don't know how many books have been written about God and guns. Uh, Maybe a couple. (laughs) Well, you had the greed in there, too, if that makes it. But then, see, what you're talking about, I think, is what you personally experienced in your 20-plus years in the military. You saw how God is used in order yep. to scare and or promote what men or man wants it to be. You see right. how guns are used, and then you see the greed that, that goes with it and how a select well, few achieve. The military industrial complex and then going into how Congress is working, how the bailout of Wall Street, now that really makes me angry. <laughs> that why can't we bail out Main Street, not Wall Street? Uh, I have something that in my platform is called the greed tax. It's, 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 a, it's a tax on every uh, Wall Street, uh, the, you know, the stock market transactions, that every transaction will have a 50%, uh, 50 cent tax. And, uh, and then all that money would go into and then trying to figure out uh, Main Street through a lot of the uh, ideas that I have, trying to, trying to bring it back. So, the rich fat cats on Wall Street, I just, it just really upsets me because they're not there for us. They're not there for Main Street. They're there for, they're in their trading. It's like illegalized gambling almost. It's just, it's pretty angering to me. Oh, when you've got a bailout sitting there waiting for you, know you, that movie, that great HBO movie or, uh, that I watched, uh, Too Big to Fail, I think you saw that as well. Yeah. You're just, yeah. that's how it is. That's the mindset. Yeah. And it Bam shouldn't Mary, be. Freddie Mac and all yeah. of like nobody, nobody was arrested. Yeah. It's terrible. Nobody was arrested. Yeah. I mean, at least Madoff was, but he was a separate entity. Yeah, he was absolutely. part of that. But I want to ask you some questions about the military. Now. Yeah. Things are changing. Um, I know you were deeply involved in the drone system, the drone program when it first came out. That was one of your babies. Do you and see? Yeah. I was doing a lot of the first ones that were flying. So you were you were like you know right there the godfather of that. How are we going in that direction now? Where pilots won't be needed, we won't need people flying F-15s, F-14s, F-22s. It just it will not be required A-10 so forth. Well, I mean that's the direction that I think we are going into would be the uh, unmanned uh, vehicles, and we are already there. Uh, there will always be somebody controlling it, and it's there should always be a human in the loop somewhere. You can't have any of these things autonomous, and I, and I 100% believe that. There always has to be some skin in the game, and so it's, it's upsetting to me that if warfare does turn into that sterile, uh, very far-removed thing, then you're going to have uh, – it's going to get misused and, and bad. 
Because if you don't have that type of a loss and the people aren't right there, then it becomes so it becomes so removed. Then it becomes easy and sterile. And then the greater powers like America or Russia or you know China or Iran, all these bigger powers. When we have that removal of that that you know human being there. What happens to all the, all the uh, smaller countries or the weaker countries, the ones that don't have this military might, it would be a simple destruction. It would be something that you could fly over there and bomb and do whatever you want without uh, remorse or without loss from our side. And so it becomes even more lopsided. And that's what I, we need to really watch that and, and fight against that and try to keep that removed. And I don't know how to do that. Because the direction we're moving in right now is that type of warfare, which, uh, which leads me to the next point. Politician, because I want to fight against that. I've been to war, and I know what it feels like. I never want anybody to ever have to go to war. There, there needs to be other other ways to do it. I want the Department of Defense, Department of State, USAID, and all those groups. I want to build joint task forces so that DOD will never go to war alone. We can go to war only if it's a joint task force or a combined joint task force, and we have other countries that are going to be there with us. But you always have to have that big Department of State presence and the U.S. Andes presence. And we never make war. We always strive to make peace and to make uh, – we can't make war anymore. It's just – we have to join with the other other services. Like I said, Department of State, USID, and even the Peace Corps, and bring everybody together and work together to make peace. We never want to make war, ever. I, I I think one of the best ways of doing or putting a, at least a, 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 trying to temper it would be maybe yeah. bringing back the draft across the board for anyone. I think if a senator's kid has to be drafted along with a kid who's, who's comes from the coal mines of uh, Johnstown, yeah. I think the people in power would think a little bit harder before they decide to go to war yeah, or do things that might bring on a war. But you know the senator's sons never go to war. Isn't there a song about that? Yeah, there's a song about that. It goes way back. It, then, it's I before our that, time. but <laughs> I'm the one who goes to war. I'm poor. I'm, you know, low working class. I'm the person that goes to war, not the senator's son. And, and it's, it's, it's true, but if we had that draft, the cross-section of that draft, where there's yeah. no way out of it, not like Vietnam where you could go to college and defer anything. Yeah. You're drafted. It doesn't matter who you are. No Maybe. serving in the Air National Guard to hide from it. This is and it. And like a two-year. Maybe you make it a man. Uh, if you get drafted like that, maybe it's a, it's a lottery. And maybe it's not that many. But it's a random draft that you have to go for two years. Your number came out and you have two years. Do two years. Maybe we should all serve. Maybe we should all serve. That's what they do in Israel. Everybody serves. Yeah. Smaller but, country, uh, obviously, but everybody what serves. What if it was mandatory two year service but you had a choice to serve in DOD, DOS, USID, Peace Corps, Agreed. Uh, community police, the sheriff department? Like we could have a whole bunch of things like that. And even if you were at an EMC and an ambulance, that would be your two years. I agree. I like the idea. That'd be kind of cool. I think it'd be great because also you're getting exposed to occupations. Yes. You're getting experience. If you want to come back out, if your two years are done, you go to college. If you want to stay in and serve in the military or serve in the Coast Guard or serve in, in the Peace Corps, something, at least it's exposure. I think... Yeah. We live in a great if, country. It has its issues, obviously, but we live we in a country. What if we took Bernie free college? What if we took Bernie Sanders free college and free everything at that point and said, okay, yeah, we're going to give you free college, but you have to do this two years first? No problem. So you do two years in the military at Department of State, USID, Peace Corps, and we can have a whole list of them. Pick one of these 20 areas. You're going to go work there for two years. When your two years is finished, you're in your free college. I'm, where, I'm there with you. <laughs> I'm, I'm completely there with you. I think it's a great thing. Yeah. I think it's a great thing. It's a Now you got to work out the logistics, obviously. But if we can move a country the way we have during World War II, we were able to yeah. draft the people. Everybody went. Everyone sacrificed. Blah, blah, blah. We can do it here. And wouldn't that be a great foundation for the intellectual aspect of the country and the defense? Yeah, that'd be, that'd be a pretty cool way to go. And there, unfortunately, we ran out of time, but the two of us can continue this in a personal phone call, and I'd like to have you back yeah. again maybe in a month or so. Yeah, 
Well, go to my website. It's uh, Beck for Congress. If you just type in two words, Beck and Congress, Google it, you're going to find my website with a platform and a lot of information. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of pages. Transparency and my platform is, is true. I don't want you to know everything about me, and I don't want you to know where I come from. As far as, you know, my loyalty to the working class, and, and because that's me. And uh, I've been, as a, as a minority, I've walked down the street of America and had four people, you know, jump me and beat me unconscious and stomping me into the ground. I know what prejudice feels like. I've been beaten, you know. I've had uh, a police uh, arrest me for no cause except for just walking down the street. And uh, when they had my driver's license looked me up, I told them, I said, this might be a really big mistake. You should probably let me go. And after speaking to them, they were, whoops, and they opened the door up and let me go. But the initial arrest was an uncaused for arrest. And so I know what that feels like. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I start talking about, you know, Black Lives Matter and a lot of things are happening in our country. I know what it feels like, and, and I don't know what all this feels like, but it's happened to me. And my compassion and my work towards uh, making a better America is, is truly based upon my own experiences, my personal experiences. And that's what I want to bring to co- uh, Congress. I want to bring those experiences and my own uh, loyalty to their true individual liberty and freedom and equality that I've had myself, that I lived. That's Excellent. Excellent. Kristen, appreciate it. Welcome back anytime. I'll give you a call later in the weekend. Please tell Heather I said hi and congratulations on everything that's going on, my friend. Thanks, John. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.